Welcome to the DGR Podcast. I'm your host, David Gray. Hey guys, David here. Welcome back to the DGR Podcast. This is episode number 73. I really hope you're all doing very, very well. I have a great guest, a great episode for you today. I have Craig Mallet. Um, this is actually... One of my favorite episodes ever, really good chat. Uh, I actually had the pleasure of being coached by and learning under Craig uh, for about a, probably a 12 to 18 month period when I was living in Sydney. And I learned a ton around that time. It wasn't the only thing I was doing, but Craig was diving really deep into the world of Taoist arts, Chinese internal and ar- external martial arts. And he has continued down that path quite heavily. And he has a lot of interesting perspectives, super thoughtful guy, super nice guy. Uh, We spoke about some of his different training styles over the years, of which he has been exposed to many. We spoke about his thoughts on pain, habitual movement, um, body awareness and spatial awareness, training the mind to focus. So a lot of the talk nowadays is about like open your mind to things. And he actually spoke about closing your mind and focusing on something. Uh, We spoke about the ideas in like the traditional SNC and the physio world around really just like create as much tension as ever you possibly could. And in his perspective and maybe the internal arts perspective, a lot of it is about letting go of as much tension or unnecessary tension as you can. So there's an interesting like separation between styles. And I think Craig is a great person to speak about that. Um, so yeah, I think it was a really good episode, different to probably what you've been exposed to. Most of you have been exposed to before, which is good. Listen to different perspectives, look at who some of the best movers are who move really well for a long time and actually understand that mm, maybe it doesn't correlate to what you see a lot of the time in the gym. Uh, not that it can't, but a lot of the time it doesn't. So, uh, yeah, I think you'll really enjoy the episode. If you do, maybe give Craig and myself a tag on social media. That would be brilliant. And apart from that, here's the episode. I hope you enjoy. Hello, Craig. Thanks for joining me. How are you? I am good. It is evening here in Australia. I'm winding down and enjoying the fact that part of that is going to be chatting with you for the next little while. Uh, where did you say you're based now? I'm up in the Sunshine Coast uh, in a little town called Perigian Beach. Uh, it's right on the beach. I've been loving beach life, loving the smaller town life. Uh, getting away from the city was a good idea. So, yeah, yeah. just up uh, for people who are international, it's north east side of Australia, north of Brisbane. Lovely little place of the world. Definitely come check it out if you're over this way. Yeah, I think... We were, we, we, we traveled, when we were in Sydney, we went from, we did a little four or five or six week, maybe a little trip from Sydney all the way up to Cairns and we passed through Sunshine Coast and stuff along the way. So a lot of, a lot of nice, nice places on the way up of that, yeah. up that coast. Um, do you want to, this is a, this is probably the most difficult part of the podcast. Do you want to give us a little bit of an intro or a bit of a background, um, kind of, yeah, what, what you've done, especially like obviously in the movement space over the years, and and what you're up to now. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a. I'll give the quick version because it's a pretty long uh, journey I've been on. I started in 2003 with a traditional Chinese martial arts, uh, specifically a style called Xinyi Liuha Chuan uh, and another style called Cha Chuan. Um, 
Shinyi is like an internal martial art, which is really introspective. It's lots of repetition of simple single exercises. Cha Chuan is a bit more, it's still quite traditional, but looking a lot more like Wushu, you know, these long, big bow stances, deep horse stances, stuff like this. Um, yeah, so I did that until hmm, 2012, I think. The teacher I was training with um, closed the school. Uh, and I was already starting to be a bit like I was not a flexible person, not by nature, not at all. Even with all the training in the martial arts, I was still struggling. Um, and so I got on to Kit Lachlan at one point really close to the end of of that time, you know, maybe maybe around 2010 or 2011 or something like this. I can't remember when. And it turned out he lives like, at the time, he lived about a block away from me. And <laughs> we went over and, and, and you know, Kit... Uh, and I also know how to talk quite a bit. And it was like three hours of us just like geeking out entirely. And then I'm like, I'm coming to your class. And from there, I started diving into the stretch therapy world. Um, and soon after, I was looking at uh, gymnastics bodies and starting to do this whole uh, body weight training thing, which was reasonably new at the time. People were still a bit suspicious of it. Uh, still a bit like, uh, will this re replace weight training? Uh, you know all of those things, um, and were, I just branched out. On, you were pretty big on the forums back then, weren't you? I remember yeah. stumbling across the stretch therapy forums and like asking questions and stuff. And I think I think you were one one of the and the gymnastics bodies forums and those. Yeah, were yeah, yeah. I was definitely, uh, yeah, I was loving those forums back then. It was like a huge like just free for all of all these kind of pioneers just being like, "I'm trying this, you're trying that. Let's check out, see if it worked." Um, and that. Uh, you know, I, I, I went on from there. I actually in in twenty thirteen, I think, maybe fourteen. Thirteen. Must be thirteen. I went and did a MoveNut uh retreat in Thailand with Vic Verdio. Uh that was really cool. Uh also around the time I'm I was hanging out with Simon Thacker um of uh, Ancestral Movement. So we were in Canberra together teaching classes together. Um we co launched the retreats that the bush retreats that he's now reasonably famous for um so we did them together in the start uh and then i was just going feral just finding every single information about anything and everything <laughs> that i could and trying to assemble it into this coherent thing um and i really i started to call what i was doing body awakening that's made the most sense to me to to wake up all these kind of dormant parts of the body through varied movement and i really had this uh, kind of generalist idea in the start that i kind of i'd done a urban dance in amongst there somewhere too i i got very very close to pursuing a professional career in urban dance um there Which was a like moment where they break that break dance kind of thing uh more like um standing hip-hop like popping locking um <laughs> Uh, crumping, all of this kind of stuff. I did a lot, lots of this kind of street style of dance. Um, uh, I, I wasn't particularly good at it, but there was a moment where they kind of flagged that if I trained, I could be okay. Mm -hmm. um, and I had to kind of make a choice between diving into that and doing like training every night or sticking with my martial arts and other training. And I ended up choosing the martial stuff. But uh, yeah, it, lots of things going on anyway, like a really, really broad background of, of loads of modalities, loads of exercises. Uh, never re Oh, I did the personal training course, but that, but that was garbage, to be honest. Uh, never really uh, 
never really uh, did too much of the really traditional strength and conditioning stuff. Um, haven't really ever gotten into weights uh, myself, so so that's not my forte at all. Yeah, and then in 2014, I was scrolling on the internet, uh, blog by a very mysterious character at that point who went on to become my teacher, uh, Master Serge Augier. Um, yeah, I found his blog. Uh, it was just pinging me inside. I was just like, I, this is the thing I have to do. This is, I'm called to this. You know, I was just soaking up this, and a little button appeared saying, training in English at a distance available. And I clicked that and it was all uh, kind of tumbling down a hole then. And uh, it took a while. I, I think it was probably about 2019 by the time I've gone, this is my thing, I'm all in. And, and really dropped all the other training by then. But there was this huge transition period where I was kind of doing that, but also still doing all these investigations into gymnastic stuff, uh, ended up teaching a stack of workshops in Europe around 2016, 17, uh, a couple with Emmett Lewis, uh, they were really fun. We were just making stuff up on the fly, like, what are we going to put in this workshop? <laughs> yeah. That's <laughs> the good, good thing to have in a bit of a, a bit of a, a bit of a brand or a bit of a following or, you know, mm -hmm. you can, people, we, we've funnily enough had that a little bit as well. We've had a few people buy tickets to a workshop and then ask us afterwards, like, what, what are you going to teach? And I'm like, oh, this is, like, you, you probably should have known that before you bought the ticket, but that's a cool thing that you just trust me to hopefully make yeah. it good regardless. Yeah. <laughs> um, what, uh, quick, quick question. What is, what's the difference between an internal versus an external martial art? Or how, like, how, how would you describe that? Yeah, we actually have a really, really specific and precise definition from for this in our school. Uh, we train both. Uh, um, and it's not to do with the movement you're doing, it's to do with the intent you have while you do that. So okay. let's say you're doing any motion. Most of the time when you're learning the motion, you have to focus on the posture, the points, how I'm moving, where I'm going, the coordination, the choreography, whatever. This we call external. As soon as I'm focused on where I am in space and kind of what I'm doing, the, the structure and the movement, uh, or the alignment and the movement, whatever you want to call it. Um, it's a really, we call it an external thing. The moment you've trained enough in any exercise, typically it's simple exercises, but uh, you could, you know, theoretically do it with very complex things. The moment you've trained enough that it's like uh, so ingrained that you don't have to think about it and it's still good. You know, I've done a particular move 20,000 times so I can do it and I can like have a chat to you while I'm doing it and still nail it. Then it's like my mind is free, you know, I don't have to govern the exercise, it's muscle memory. Then my mind is free to then pay attention to more subtle goings on, like how the circulation is changing depending on how I breathe. If I put my attention really precisely on this one point, it kind of buzzes a bit weirdly. This is internal. Then we start, mm -hmm. well, there's, there's actual pathways for developing these this internal landscape, the feelings that change depending on where your intent is uh, and what you're paying attention to in a really, really kind of subtle and precise way. Does it typically, I know, I, I know you can train like both and work on both, but mm -hmm. would you typically think about going from like, I'm going to work on external a little bit more first and then, and then move internally? Absolutely. The internal stuff is kind of, uh, because it relies on a subtle um, capacity to feel really not obvious things in the body. Uh, you need a capacity to feel 
and that is entirely based on how relaxed your system is. We say mm -hmm. tension blocks feeling. I can't feel clearly where it's really, really tight. It like makes the whole thing vague. Um, and so there's this huge work to actually clear most of the rubble, so to speak, out of the way before you can do serious internal work. You can still do stuff for sure, but it's going to be sort of vague. Tricky. Yeah. I find that with, like, we probably use different language than that, but I find that with people in pain in particular, and actually I have a bit of an issue with the industry at the moment where they they have kind of this separation between okay you're in pain or you're not in pain or sorry mm -hmm. you're in pain or everything is amazing and mm -hmm. actually there's a whole world where i've lived in for a long time where no i'm not in pain but i feel like crap a hell of a lot of the yeah, time yeah, yeah. i have so much tension in my body and mm -hmm. that's something that i find funny that they don't necessarily they don't kind of measure sometimes with let's say with crossfit they're just looking at like injury rates okay how often yeah, yeah. does someone blow an acl not that often but oh so that means that and i just crossfit is isn't just an example there's many examples mm -hmm. but that doesn't mean that like it's making your life better and making your body feel yeah, yeah. better but yeah. uh yeah especially with people in pain like if you try and just ask them they're they're doing a motion and you try and ask them to tune into their body or sense a certain thing or, or describe what they're sensing they can just describe pain they can mm -hmm. just describe pension. They can't feel pressure changing in different parts of yeah. the feet or whatever. So, um, yeah. so yeah, I think I'm definitely on board with, with that kind of idea. Um, yeah. And it's, it's even, it's even like, it, it's, it's, it's like pain's a spectrum, right? It's a language in and of itself that can mean so many different things. And the, the, the corner of that spectrum, that means danger, stop doing this. It's kind of thin, right? It, there's a whole lot of pain, sensation, intense sensation that doesn't at all mean stop. It it means pay attention somewhere else. It might mean pay attention to this intense sensation, right? A lot of pain signal is just calling. Uh, this is the way I see it anyway. It's just calling for our conscious attention to open to a thing that hasn't had enough attention given to it. Then, then it's like a little bat signal, you know, <laughs> Batman, come here. Uh, it, it, and if you, uh, I find so much of the modern landscape is like, how do we turn those signals off? Like, what? No, you do not want to turn them off. You want to get to know what they mean and get to know the language that they, what they refer to and get to know that this one means, oh, actually you're at a precipice and you need to keep going. And this one means uh, shut it down or you're going to blow your knee, you know? Uh, there's a and, and everything in between uh, there's there's so much nuance in there like any language yeah there's a spectrum that takes that takes time that takes probably a good teacher and actually having mm -hmm. a, a, a awareness to and a curiosity to try and figure out what's yeah, going on yeah. in your own body because yeah if i bend my knee like and again pain does numb things in a certain way where it num it numbs other sensations where I, okay like i'm going to do a squat and someone will just say i just have knee pain but mm -hmm. they can't if, if you if you slow it down and you try and understand it, it it might not be you just have knee pain and and they might not even be able to describe where what kind of pain and in what part of the movement and we can start to understand that actually it's only really when you get to this point of the movement it's only really in this part of your of your knee it might not even be in your knee it could be somewhere else so there's a whole world of understanding rather than just pain mm -hmm. or not pain 
Um, so what, what, what does your, so what, what, what changed when you came across Surge and what does that type of practice involve? And I know it can involve a lot of things, but mm-hmm. maybe you can try and simplify it for us. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, the essence of the practice and typically of any of these kind of like Chinese born, especially internal arts tend to be a repetition of very simple things done in like a sustained manner to go deep. Let's like kind of break it down to that. To give you some examples, like the first thing we'll learn is how to stand in what we call centered, which is a misnomer for sure, because you can't be centered, but you can kind of get closer. You can get closer to this uh, Goldilocks zone that's in between the extremes and you can refine that zone and make it more clear to you and that's a thing you can just perpetually do until the end of time. You know, you can just get more and more and more and center moves around day to day, depending on your circumstances and a whole bunch of other factors. But you can kind of learn how to bring yourself back to that uh, oh, neutral, maybe whatever you want to call it. The, we call it centered, aligned. Uh, you know, the old language would say between heaven and earth. This is nice and flowery. Mm-hmm. And um, is that just the body or is that the mind too? The mind, uh, we have a different set of practices for. So we, we really look at the body as a kind of container that, uh, that holds the energy of the consciousness, the mind. And if the body is kind of distorted and twisted, then the mind will be unstable. It won't have a kind of, uh, root, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. it's like an image of a big tree, the branches going up and out of the, infinity complexity of the thoughts of the mind and under the ground is like with the body the roots that stabilize it then if the yeah. body is no good the mind's going to be like we and if the uh, on the flip side if you're just going going all body you're not getting any upward growth either so it's always a kind of balance idea how how does that idea differ to maybe like traditional yoga practices and this is just my interpretation of some, <laughs> of some of these which is to be honest, using blunt enough language, like stretch the body into oblivion yeah, yeah. so that, so that my mind can like just be living in disguise and blah, 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 mm. blah, blah, versus I don't necessarily see Chinese martial artists or internal martial arts doing something like that. They seem to have more mm. value on building strength and being very grounded. Yeah. You've got this idea or it's almost the reverse idea to like that dissociation, like let's find a state where I don't have to pay attention to this, right? Let's put my mind in this Nirvana perfection. So I don't have to be in the difficulties of the, the reality of life, so to speak. Guys, if you're sick of using calf and tibialis raises with yourself or your clients, hoping that they wor- will work secretly knowing that they won't, then check out our foot program in the show notes. I'll teach you how I, rehab and train all of my clients how to unlock their rear foot and their ankle how to pressurize their midfoot how to load and strengthen their forefoot how to build a connection from the foot to the hip how to progress through plyometrics it will open up so many tools in your toolbox and and completely transform how you view lower leg training so check it out then it's kind of the opposite it's like no let's get face to face with that and resolve as much of it as we can so to take a, a really simple example, when you stand centered and, uh, 
you know, you set yourself up with all the little cues that we use, that the toes are forward, they're kind of not too wide, not too narrow, the weight's in the center of the foot, give or take, the knees aren't too bent or too straight. And all the cues are saying the same thing, right? You've got extremities, which is too much one way and too much the other way, and you come somewhere in the middle. And you just go through all the joints and follow that kind of basic idea of finding somewhere in the middle. And you end up standing, you know, in a in a particular posture where the crown's lifted and the knees are a little bit bent. It's kind of like you're sitting on a little bar stool. Uh, you can find plenty of pictures of guys doing this on, online. Um, but then you start to do something interesting. You start to try and stretch the body out, make the posture better, push it towards the perfection, and then you release all the excessive tension and you keep cycling that. And as that goes down, what happens is you end up in a confrontation with, with your deeper weak links then it's like all the surface tension slowly drains out if you're doing it right, if you're doing it well. And what's left is anything that won't relax. And that stuff starts to call you because it, like, like you said, with pain, as soon as these things aren't in a good way most of the time, and they're really, really intense sensations. And normally like as we sink and start to relax into them, we go, and the mind goes, oh, anywhere but here. And you've got to constantly practice like bringing the mind, the attention back down onto those things to learn to turn towards them rather than away from them so that they too can release. And that takes a, you know, a real lot of repetition, you know, a recombobulating of a, a kind of natural unconscious tendency for us to find the easiest way, mm -hmm. path of least resistance. It's like, no, let's find the worst way. You know, what's the thing that's in the way, uh, how can I confront that directly? So we're bringing our mind instead of away from that thing. It's like, how can we confront it directly? And I really found um, Kit, Kit Lachlan's stretch therapy had a similar essence, right? You go into these stretches with a partner and it's like your eyeballs start bulging and you've got to try and relax and feel that thing that's on a, on a big stretch. And it's like, come back down into it instead of just like, I just want to get the split. So I'm going to get these horrid sensations and then dissociate somewhere so I can get my legs in a particular position. Yeah, that's that's what kind of drew me to some of that. I, I've moved it very much away from that stretching type of work, but I appreciate that it can be valuable for people who want to get into deeper positions and, and display ranges of motion. They probably need to be to, to stretch. Um, and there's many different types of stretching, but I did like Kit's type of contract, relax and it wasn't just about forcing myself deeper. It was about finding ways to let go of tension to get myself deeper and build strength there, but not mm -hmm. in a, not in a, just a confrontation way with my body all the time. Mm -hmm. But the standing practice that you're describing, like some people would probably be listening and be like, okay, so you, you just stand there. Like that's not very hard, but I've done a lot of things. I've tried a lot of things. And that is the single most disgustingly hard thing I have ever done. <laughs> there is nothing worse yeah. than trying to stand in this kind of aligned position and not aligned like I'm trying to push my chest up or tuck my pelvis, just kind of find your alignment by letting go of tension. Um, and the amount of things that start screaming at you, and mm. it's not like you're resting in a deep squat. It's not like you need strength to stay here. Yeah, yeah. Um, at least that's my interpretation. So there's a few parts to it. One is like my mind tries to stop me even starting in the first place. Mm -hmm. So like it's a daily practice that needs to be done. So my mind tells me to do a million other things instead of that. Then when I'm there, my body is screaming at me and my mind is telling me to get out of this position. 
Uh, so that is a very difficult practice. And I'm, I'm a doer and I always found myself wanting to do more in those positions. Like I want to, I'm trying to force things to happen rather than mm-hmm. letting it go. And that was, that was very confrontational for me. Yeah. 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 We have this idea that, um, uh, particularly with the hips, you know, you mentioned like pelvic tucks and things like this, particularly with the hips that you want to drop the hips. And that means the hips will kind of hang like a heavy weight. The old texts say a weight hanging off a ribbon. Then you have this image of like a weight dragging the fibers and it's going to force them to lengthen, not because I'm pulling down, but because I've dropped it. Right. And, uh, um, it's a little bit like teasing something apart. You just got to let the weight there and it kind of goes like, and releases. Um, but any amount of grabbing the hips and trying to place them in a good position is going to be counterproductive to that particular um, task. And I, I always describe it to my students. It's like I hold a, um, an accordion from one end and there's a lot of weight on the other end. It like goes, eh, and kind of like drags the accordion and spaces out the inside. You know, uh, you get this kind of um, uh, two directional thing where because I'm just maintaining like very, very slightly these couple of points up top and then I just hang everything else off that it drags it long and it kind of runs into whatever won't let it lengthen and you start to yeah. get this feeling that's a bit like an avalanche you know the weight where it can you know in the shoulders starts to release and that weight runs down the body and kind of just gets jammed on the next thing it just hangs out on it and you're like oh god and then at some point you stay long enough and that thing kind of goes with the rest of the avalanche and the problem is now the avalanche has more weight behind it, right? Because it's just gathered another thing with it and it lands on the next thing with more weight. And this kind of gets deeper and deeper and deeper. And like, you know, you end up feeling like you're going to crush yourself into the ground with your own body weight. And it can be on all sorts of interesting visceral tensions and like hanging out of the diaphragm and hanging out of like, uh, you know, little connective tissues throughout the lower organs and then through the lower back, which is, you know, with the psoas in there and all the, Multi, like little anterior lumbar spine especially is just a nightmare for me <laughs> like uh, areas areas of compression everywhere yeah um, yeah yeah and like if you actually look at people who do these practices they end up looking like they have nice long spines not like not the strength and conditioning type of chest driven up to the sky and all this compression around this around mm. the back it just looked like they have really nice long spines. So mm-hmm. this stuff, uh, this stuff does actually work. It makes big changes. It just looks too subtle, maybe for some people to actually. Yeah, and and what you said, like the we're kind of hardwired to avoid this. Where there's an unconscious process that is just like, why would I go there when there's an easier path? Like when I can express a lot of power this way why would I bother going to this, which is going to be the line that I express the least power on it, like finds the weakest links in the body. The benefit for kind of cornering yourself and forcing this practice, and this is where people go, you do strength training? And I said, uh, yeah, but I'm not like, it's not maximal strength training. It's more like stripping everything away until only the weakest, absolute, most crap shit parts of the body are left, and I start strengthening them bit by bit because they're delicate, you know, they're actually weak links, you know, they're like a newborn thing that can't function. They don't work well. They don't even let me do what I'm used to in my day-to-day life. Uh, you get a big, like humble pie, right? If you open all the protective elements away from this and expose these little weak links in this method I'm talking about, 
suddenly you have a bit of tissue exposed that really can't do what you're used to doing with all these like uh, compressional forces. Uh, I had to stop jumping for like three years <laughs> just to, to, to work on this stuff in my lower back. Mm -hmm. It's uh, I see I see similar things, not in the same way, but you see sometimes with like some of the exercises that I use, like a foam roller bridge or something like that. I, I know it's I know it's very different, but people will do people will go to the gym forever and they'll do hamstring curls and they'll do calf raises. But then when you force these tissues to have to work together, or you put them in a position where they're not used to working, or they have to coordinate in a different way, the whole system freaks out, and that's a uh, similar i think similar than you, what you're describing just in a more blunt way like it's just gonna get it to happen immediately yeah um your your i i tried that foam roll a couple of your drills um just to have an idea of what they're about and i find the kind of method is almost the same but you're just doing it with a specific target right this is like a global thing that'll just kind of catch everything slowly yours is like that specific thing there is kind of needs work and it just targets that so yeah i, I would exactly. say almost yeah, the same I, yeah it's, it's 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 rehab it's people who are like okay you have a sore knee and you need to get back to sport in three mm -hmm. weeks Let, let's go um why, why do you think we end up with so much from like from your perspective or from maybe surges or, or just the whole kind of that whole kind of world why do we end up with so much tension in our bodies I think it's just the natural course of life, right? Um, that uh, we fall a particular way when we're little, something gets tweaked, we compress that way to protect that thing. We don't do rehab on it, so it never gets re-strengthened, so it just sits there with that compression. Compile that over like your entire teenage years and into your early adulthood, and it's just a stack of... It's life, right? It's normal. These These arts that are... Taoism, they call the path of return, going back. It's just to say, this is the normal path of life, and actually, let's just reverse way back down to how we were before life kind of just like shanked us <laughs> with its mm -hmm. with its normal life stuff. So it, it's really, especially in the beginning, uh, there's a lot of stuff with Taoism where it's like, ah, oh, Wu Wei means I don't have to do anything. It's like, no, 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 you actually have to undo everything it's getting back to not spontaneous, but rather like I have to corner the system. So it was forced to reveal all this stuff that's otherwise hidden to me. Um, so we don't actually at all have the idea that something went wrong. It's just the normal life. And some people are weird and want to undo it. Essentially, it's like, like, a, it's a specific task that takes a specific calling. Um, that's definitely not for everyone. But it's, it's, it's not like the idea isn't that something went wrong. It's just that this is life. And, you know, you can find plenty of examples of people who don't do this kind of unwinding. They have their compensation patterns. They're super strong. They go through to the end of their life, very healthy, happy. It's fine. Then yeah. why do it? Mystery. <laughs> yeah, there's, but there's, there's, there's definitely parts of it that people understand and appreciate, which is, let's say meditation is obviously very, very popular now. Um, so that's, there's, a, there's aspects of that type of thing, like quieting the mind. I, I, I don't know how necessarily you would describe it, but it, the similarities there, there's people have understandings of letting go of tension in the body at certain times. So there's, there's parts of it there, but I think that practice of Taoism, at least the way you, you practice it is trying to 
systemize maybe that's how I would think of it like systemize all of these things to make it a better life rather than just look at all of these things in isolation Mm -hmm. so when I I think I I probably met you at an interesting time Craig where you were probably on the the verge of making that transition out of all the calisthenics world the stretching world and into Mm -hmm. that world and I was probably one of your first few students where you were really diving into like the teaching side of it. Obviously, mm-hmm. I've been practicing for quite a while. Um, and also, I, was, I did a bit of work with Serge for probably a year as well. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to kind of name some of the things that I was working on then, and maybe you can help me or others bo- both to understand some of them. So one of them was, hopefully I'm not giving away like any secrets here. I don't think I, don't, I, don't, I, don't think I am, <laughs> but... Um, one was like what what I would consider now this is my like bastardized version so you can clean it up for me so one was like a a mind practice which was I had to sit in a room and stare at a red ball yeah this is a famous famous drill for us (laughs) (laughs) so that wasn't a particularly nice drill um and I I suppose what I'll say what I learned from that which is I think that that was different to meditation, which is trying to quiet the mind. I think that was concentration training, just bringing my focus back, which could be seen as similar, but probably not the same. But what I, what I learned from that especially was when you have a body filled with tension that feels like crap, which I had for a long time, and I still have, I still have but it's just a lot better than it was, just with so many injuries and also just weird shit going on that my body kept pulling me out of like of that I was constantly pulling me back to like my hip just feels like shit my knee feels like shit my blah 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 um so that that was one the other one was like a basic hand so you're you're standing in different types of postures and you're moving your hands and your arms around in different ways um like you can imagine in the gym let's say standing up like doing those it and y drills those type of things but like much more let's say fluid and not with weights um and that after five minutes of doing the same type of arm movement again and again your shoulders have burned like like nothing else uh so that would be another one then there's the one that you were speaking about earlier which is that kind of just standing posture just uh maybe like i don't know what you would call what I would call it maybe like a standing meditation type of thing where you're just standing in one posture, which maybe your eyes open or closed. And then we used to go to the park and practice a lot of like different stances and kicks and stuff like that, where we're transitioning to different, almost like isometrics, like horse stance and stuff like that. So you're holding them or you're transitioning in and out of them. So, um, so I, I think the med, the red ball is more like, the, the concentration side of things that the the basic hands is like the stance and starting to build some maybe strength there the standing meditation is very much around like maybe alignment and breathing and you can correct me now and then the stances and stuff are and the kicks are about building some more strength mm-hmm. just uh yeah so uh historical tidbit interesting thing uh, you're you're right i was in a transition period when we were training in those little uh, line drills with all the stances actually it's stuff from my first teacher i was teaching okay. um from he, with his permission he said i was uh, allowed to teach this stuff so i was teaching some of that stuff i really liked i've kind of let go of most of it mainly because i have better tools uh not better but uh, uh more synergistic with the school uh, tools to do the same thing yeah. 
Um, yeah. yeah, so so you can basically break this up into three big categories. You've got practices that we start with the basic hands that are for developing the knowledge of the body, the structure, um, and the spatial awareness, which I want to come back to because it's a really, really key aspect. Then you've got breathing drills, which are basically to improve this exchange that is going on at any point in time between outside and in, you know, I, when I breathe in, it's really, really like trippy when you think about it a little bit that I breathe in, there's this stuff that's like air outside. I take it in at some point it's transformed into me, you know, and then I take some parts of me and go, I don't want those bits anymore. And I breathe them out and it's going on at any point in time. Like the world is transforming to me and I'm transforming into the world. Uh, but at a very fundamental sense, it's an exchange. It's an exchange between outside and in. And the word chi kind of implies an exchange. I really am not a fan of energy to describe this word. It's more like exchange, transformation, and relationship between two things, between the outside world and me, between me and another person. It's it's really describing this this exchange that goes on. Even now we're having an exchange, you know, it would be the chi of the conversation. Then then it's a really cool word when you kind of get away from wizards and lightning bolts and back to something really more fundamental to, to our existence. Uh, it gets translated as vitality sometimes, but still, uh, I don't think that, that hits the nail on the head. Yeah, it gets a bit lost or yeah. people start to, I think, yeah, when it's like a, a magic or so, mm. or, you know, this kind of, like it's the same with some of the chakras and yoga and stuff. Yeah, I think. yeah. They just as soon as people hear that, they get turned they get turned off to it. Oh, way too on. Of... It's like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. way too on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so then we have the the bodily exercises, which you start with the basic hands, and that would progress into plenty of stuff, martial arts, tai chi, whatever. You've got the breathing exercises, which are really for improving this exchange, which can get really subtle. At some point, there's plenty of like variations on exchange. You have uh, the feeling of just the absorption through the skin that can be trained to a really high degree, for example. And then you have uh, the mental work, the work on the mind, which is really about understanding how the mind functions. This drill you mentioned, the red ball, um, is a fascinating drill because it really often wrecks long-term meditators. And the reason why it wrecks them is really interesting. Most meditations, if you go and look online and stuff, are really about kind of like opening the mind, about, uh, you know, you've got plenty of stuff where you sit and just let the mind do whatever it does. Um, uh, and all these kind of like expansive of expansion of the mind or noticing the silence behind the activity of the mind. And all of these are opening in their nature. But if we have opening with no closing, like I said before, it's the tree that has big branches that has no root. So we need to train the mind to actually close, you know, and, you know, even today closed minded is kind of an insult, right? But if my mind can't close, then it's unstable. I need a capacity to close my mind and fix it on a particular thing. Focus. To bring, yeah, it's focus. Exactly. Focus is a closed mind. Then, if I want to say, do an essay, if I can just bring my mind onto doing that essay and just keep it there, I can like smash out this essay in like five seconds. Whereas if my mind's too open, the essay's gone, but someone's talking to me, but my, oh, my messenger just went off. Oh, I better go outside. You know, it's too open and there's too many options. And it actually makes a bit of like anxiety 
because which one do I do? And I find people who are doing meditations are like, I've got anxiety, so I'm going to do meditation. They open their mind more. There's more options and they get more anxious, you know, and it's like a, a, a kind of, um, it's making the problem worse, not better. So these drills where you close the mind are really interesting and they give you some feedback. If you think your mind is stable and you can't stare at a red ball for 10 minutes, uh, I've got news for you. Sorry. <laughs> it's, it's, a uh, it's a little unstable. So, uh, this is, this is a, a lot unstable. Yeah. 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 This is, yes. this is the, you don't, you don't need to, um, I don't think you need to sit down and stare, try and stare at a red ball to, to know that hmm. try and sit down and study for 10 minutes, <laughs> try and sit down and say, I'm going to work on this thing or whatever. And I bet you, you can't not check your Instagram. <laughs> I know I can't. So it's, it's hard. As focus man. It's, is it's, definitely lost. It's definitely a thing. And today it's like uh, worse than ever. And even this kind of decision of me to kind of close myself just onto this practice when I've got all these super awesome and interesting history, right? to actually go no to that, I'm going to do this, is fundamentally necessary for me to know me. Because if mm. me is just this free-for-all, then I kind of get lost in the crowd in all of it. And if I can't say that's not for me, and that is, not to say that's bad, just not for me, and this is, then I, you know, I can't close in on myself and I don't know myself as a result. Uh, and you get plenty of uh, like uh, carry-on effects to this because you, you immediately see um, can't make decisions easily because I don't know what's for me. I go to a restaurant and I'm like, ah, wait till the other person makes a decision. I'll go off their decision, you know, uh, and the anxiety gets worse because I don't know myself and, you know, it builds. So this closing the mind drill, uh, it's a, there's a reason we put it first because it'll actually, uh, stabilize a lot of stuff. Then from that mm. stability, then you blast the mind open with all the fun drills that are available these days. Uh, they, they, they tend to be very similar, but, but it's really got a logic behind it, like stabilize first, then open, put the roots in, then the tree will grow big. Yeah, that's so cool. That's so, so interesting to me. And I suppose when you start to open your mind, you then know that I can always, when I choose, I can focus on this one thing yeah. and be very consistent. I've, I've, I, have, I, I have a note in my phone probably from last week. I take notes all the time. Every time I, I'm asked a question, because I do solo podcasts and I'll just answer them on the podcast at some stage. But someone was asking me about my consistency with like social media and just this work over the last probably five years or so and how important like my consistency has been. And I was thinking about it. I was like, no, actually, it's focus. That was the most important thing. I focused on kind of just one aspect of learning about biomechanics and rehab. And that has brought me to a place where I know as much as most other people in the world about it are some of the best <laughs> people. I think that maybe other people would disagree, but it's because I actually just focused. It wasn't consistently learning all of these million different things. It was focusing consistently Absolutely. on one thing. And then that could um, grow from there, right? That's been a game changer. Exactly. Yeah. That's, that's, I think that's what people, a lot of people miss. It's really interesting yeah. that you... That's, that's helped me a lot, what you just mm -hmm. said there. Mm -hmm. It's on. Let's, uh, um, let's uh, so, rewind to the basic hands because this is uh, linked to that. You've got, um, I don't know if you remember, but the, the, the first basic hands we have, first of all, you can think of it like mathematics, right? First, I have a point, which is the center. This is the standing drill. 
I need to have a point because if I don't have a point, I don't have anything else. It's like a point of reference. Uh, the center and specifically the center of me. Uh, this comes back to this idea of knowing myself first. If I don't know myself and I'm acting in the world, who's, who's doing it, what's going on, you know, it can be really uh, unstable. So I need to know myself first, this point. From here, I can learn myself in lines. You need two points to make a line. So then you have these basic drills uh, up, down, left, right, forward, backwards. And it's literally just moving the hands on a line. Right, and the hands are the most generally, basically the most sensitive part of our body that we can most easily put on a line. Uh, we do do this stuff with like really subtle, I'll take one vertebra and play with it, I'll, you know, for advanced people. But to begin with, let's just start with the hands. Most people, you tell them to move up down with their hands, which implies that it's not moving left, right, and not moving forward and backwards. And you film it, the hands all over the place. They don't know where up and down is. They can't even trace their hand on a line in space. And so they don't know where they are and they don't know where they're going. Physically, like literally physically stand straight. They stand wonky, move your hand on a line. It moves on a curve. Uh, they think they're doing one thing and they're doing something else. There's a disconnect between their ideas of themselves and what the reality of their physicality. So these drills actually teach us to not academically understand, but viscerally feel space. I can feel up and down. I can feel forward and backwards. I can feel left and right in a visceral way where it starts to be capable for me to like, just almost like magnetize my hand to that direction. And so when I'm moving around, the more I train these very simple drills of moving the hands on these lines, the more I'm aware that when I'm moving, I'm moving on a straight line. Oh, it's slightly bent now. It's straight again. And it's not even a kind of conversation in my head. It's just a knowledge that I yeah. just know without even have to talk myself through it or anything like that. I know I'm moving straight. I know I'm curving. I know I'm going slightly up. I know I'm just dropping just a little bit. And these lines build this in. Then, of course, you take two lines. If I put up, down, and forward, back together, I've got the sagittal plane and I train my hands moving on the sagittal plane. Then suddenly I, the world's my oyster, you know, because now I have a plane, uh, the, the third dimension kind of stuff uh, where I've got a dot, a line, like X, Y, Z axis and planes on it. With that, I can make anything else I need. It's every single movement is some combination of lines and curves that move on these planes, you know, it's basic anatomy as well. But the thing the Taoists did is like, don't just look in a textbook, which teaches you with a plane, feel the planes, move your hands on these planes like 10 million times until you feel them. And when you can feel your hands, do it with your elbows. When you can do it with your elbows, do it with like every single vertebra of your spine and your hips and your knees and your toes and stuff like this. Then, then it's, uh, it starts to really like bring the world into like spatial awareness. So I start to know where I am. Um, and where I'm going in a really literal, clear way. But also, you know, we don't end up perfect, right? So we start to realize like, I know this part of my body, but this part doesn't seem to be following. And I notice what's not doing what I set out to do. You know, uh, um, your posts on internal, external rotation just inspired me the other week to look at my own and my left leg doesn't internally, externally rotate as cleanly as the right. And I went for a run and I looked down and, you know, one foot was going forward and one foot was turned out on, on my footprints on the sand. 
And I just went, oh yeah, I can feel where I can't feel that. And because I've done all this training, all I did was go, I just need to turn the knee towards that thing. And I ran and I went like twice as fast and all my footprints were nice, you know? Um, so it mm -hmm. gave me this immediate capacity to tune in to what was going wrong because I know what going straight feels like. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's just awareness and, and perception. Yeah, yeah. Can you, can you move? I, I, I don't, I don't worry too much personally about, uh, with, with clients, at least with what straight is or what alignment is or, or, or these type of things typically, but I want their perception of themselves uh, to be as close to reality as possible mm -hmm. that's what i'm super interested in because so let's say they're doing a movement and i ask like is your heel down on the floor and they'll say yes and actually i can slide my whole pinky finger yeah. in underneath it like that you're you're so far from and this is like every single day with most clients mm -hmm. um are you you know I, I when you're squatted like do you feel like you're are you upright here? Are you kind of hinged forward a lot? And they'll say one thing and they might look in the mirror and they're like, holy shit, that is completely the opposite to where I thought I was. And this happens to all of us. And we we don't even have that awareness a lot of the time. Our, our, just our perception. And I think in life, like the, the more accurate your perception is to reality, the more of a happy healthy life you're going to live if you if you have expe expectations that you're going to go into a football game and i haven't played football in five years and i'm going to be the best player and i'm going to be so fit and there's going to be no issues and actually you're so far away from your perception mm -hmm. of reality that shit shit's going to go wrong and you're going to end, end up unhappy so that's the same with clients yeah. clients come in and they have knee pain for our back pain for 10 years and they think Oh, you didn't fix me in this one session. Like you, your expectation is so skewed as to where you actually are at the moment in life. So that's uh, that's really cool. How how long has this? How has these? How have these practices developed? Like how long has this stuff been around? And what was it? What do you think it was born out of? Like figuring all this mm. stuff out. You you have um. Uh, our school's very interesting because it's got a really big recorded history. There's like my teacher just has stacks and stacks of these old books with you know they're all in in, in Chinese and all, other languages, but uh, but they're, they're, there's lots and lots of stories. There's lots and lots of mythology along with that, so it gets a you know because when people write stuff, they don't just write what happens; they write a grandiose version, you know. Uh, and this is the nature of history, right? The the victors write the history, as they say. So, so you know, take it all with a grain of salt. But it, but it's interesting that it's recorded nonetheless. And so you have this idea that in around uh, five ten AD, uh, a bunch of different groups uh, back then they're kind of in tribes, family, clans. Um, uh, there's warring states and stuff going on, and a bunch of different groups came together and like let's pool our knowledge to make sure it doesn't get lost in this unstable time and uh and you know one group was really good with medicine and one group was kind of good with martial arts and you know there was a family of alchemists and and so on and so forth they kind of all gathered together and and put their stuff together and and all the masters you know the elders of each group kind of got together and said okay your stuff takes care of this well there's some overlap here we can get rid of it and, and they made this cool um but uh still back then it looks very different because 
it changes. Someone joins, they've got some expertise in some other martial art. Hey, DGR Interactive members, there's a video on the site I think you should watch if you haven't already. It's called the Glute Max IT Band and Energy Transfer. I just break down how important it is to load these tissues, and I look at the IT band and kind of compare it to the Achilles tendon and look at the potential for energy transfer there. Uh, it's in the running, sprinting, and change of direction section. It's only about 12 minutes long. You learn a lot from it. The link is in the show notes if you want to check out DJR Interactive. And if you're already a member, make sure you watch that video this week. On and on it goes, and it just bits get added, bits get irrelevant for today's world. So they're kind of just a footnote now where there was, there was a central practice maybe a thousand years ago because uh, society was different back then. Um, so you have this kind of underlying core that continues and these add-ons that come and go depending on, on who and where and all the rest. Um, you know, the history and, and who the present masters were and where they came from. And a lot of them had their own history. You know, when they joined the school, they were already maybe Qigong masters or martial arts masters from, from other things. So so there's, there's plenty of influence coming along. Um, yeah, even it's not even purely Chinese. You've got some Tibetan influence there at some point, and and a lot of knowledge being pulled and kept uh, um, for a long time. How they came up with these particular exercises, that's beyond me. That's some sort of accumulation of wisdom, or I don't know. <laughs> it's cool though. And the, the more you get into it, you, it kind of seems like an ad hoc selection of exercises. And the more you get into it, you're like, oh no, these are like there's some severe intelligence because they're all linked to our psychology and all linked to our emotional landscape. And they're linked to a bunch of stuff. Like you go and do some of these basic hands, like uh, the, the left, right hands. And you just like, you're fuming and you're like, this is a stupid exercise. I don't want to do it. It's like, why is that? <laughs> it's a, a simple exercise. Why is it triggering me so deeply at the core of my being? Like, you know, why do I want to flip out? It's, yeah. it's, it's really interesting. Yeah. Uh, compounding knowledge is pretty pretty insane um it's why humans are humans i mm -hmm. suppose that's where we're actually able to compound knowledge i think about that all the time i think like my, i look at i look at roxy my dog and i'm like if she had well she can't have puppies but if she if she had puppies like she could teach them a little bit but they have to figure out most of it on their own and then that knowledge just gets lost again and it recycles again rather than recycling things and improving things for thousands of years yeah, yeah. and you can end up in a pretty cool place mm -hmm. uh yeah it's interesting why wh what do you think of the kind of traditional strength and conditioning world now where everything seems to be about creating as much tension as possible versus in a lot of the Taoist practices, as far as I could see, a lot of it was letting go of as much tension as possible. There seems to be a, like a fundamental separation between those two. Yeah, ideas. yeah. Um, it seems a bit to me to do with motivation, what you're trying to achieve from what you're doing. And the, the Western landscape is particularly obsessed with like high level performance can I get to the peak of performance and what limits do I need to push to achieve that? And whereas the Chinese, uh, particularly the Taoist view is more like, can I be immortal? Can I live forever? <laughs> yeah, so it's really more in this longevity idea, how to, how to sustain life for a long period of time. And so they have this view of the world that's like, 
just do a casual 10 years and you'll have the start. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and it's like, it's such a long-term view because they're really not super interested in these short-term, like, peak performances that then inevitably come down. Um, you've mm-hmm. got direct teachings of this in Taoism. In the, the I Ching, you've got the hexagram. I think it's 63. It's the perfect hexagram. Um, perfection the top of the mountain and the hexagram, the advice in our school is like, it's bad. You're at the top. What comes next is down. It's going to go bad next. Like you don't want to actually get to that point because you're at the top. The only place to go from the top is like speeding down. So it's like, instead of pushing to that peak, we say, let's just stay back from it and lengthen the whole thing. So I'm always really clear with the people I train. Like I don't do performance training. You're not, I don't even know people in the school breaking too many records. Um, you, you know, if you want to go to the Olympics, don't train with me, please. It's not a good idea. <laughs> it, and it just comes down to is one better, is one worse? It just depends, right? Because the, the that kind of the artistic vision, the sacrifice to make something like profound in the world is super cool. I can't but like applaud the people who do that. Uh, I just think it's really, you've got some people following performance-based models when all they want is longevity. And it gets mixed up. They get confused. What am I doing? I'm training like an Olympic athlete, but I don't want my body to break, which is almost inevitable. You know, you have some freaks that doesn't happen for, but I I really bet a good amount of money that like 80% of Olympians are going to be kind of broken by the time they're 50 or 60. Yeah, well... Uh... Yeah, well, look, they just push their yeah, bodies yeah, exactly. so hard, and that—that's—that's that's the vast majority of professional mm-hmm. sports people. They end up in a in a rough place afterwards. And you know what? If you offer them that choice, like you, you're going to live this this professional sports person life for the ten years, five years, fifteen years, and you're going to be you're going to have some tough years after that. Would you take it? Hundred yes, percent, yeah, they would. Exactly. Absolutely, they would. I would have taken. I would and have I taken would that. I would them for yeah, that decision. You know, that's that's excellent. Exactly. Exactly, and this goes again. Exactly what you're saying. This goes back to perception versus reality. Because if you look, if you walk into gyms and you look at the, a lot of strength and conditioning coaches, and I don't mean all of them, but the longer they train in this way, the worse they feel. Mm-hmm. Yes, they can lift heavier but they end up with more aches and pains. Now, there's an argument as well. Like, I, I, I think it can be done really well, but like, yeah, they're, they're actually going to probably live longer. Their heart is stronger. Their lungs are stronger. Their muscles are stronger. And that's really important for longevity as well. But you lose a lot of your mobility, your fluidness of movement. You have a lot of tension in your body. So what you actually just described there, that longevity versus performance, I, I think... I'm trying to, I hadn't thought about it in this way, but I think that I'm trying to find a way to link both mm-hmm. of them together a little yeah, bit better yeah. where we can build, I, like I, I do posts all the time, which is like, like the one the other day, which was just about an athlete moving his spine mm-hmm. and rotating in different ways and stuff. And I said, if you are in pain or not moving well, my caption was something like, if you're in pain or not moving well, like do the opposite of what traditional and strength mm-hmm. conditioning tells you to do, which is brace more, yeah, yeah, squeeze yeah. more, like shorten things more. So like, 
I'm kind of trying to say what you're saying without actually being able yeah. to, without being as smart as you are putting it as eloquently. I, I think there's a, a lot of room so. for that these days. You know, um, one of the things, my wife loves dance. She does, she wants to do contemporary and ballet. And there's just no room for someone who wants to dance well into old age. You're either a child star who goes on to be like, by the time I'm 17, I'm touring the world with the Russian ballet. And by the time I'm 25, I'm done. Uh, same with gymnastics yeah. or you don't do it seriously at all. Like if you're an adult doing gymnastics, it's kind of like, <laughs> like they're just playing in the corner. Where's the space for like serious training. That's I'm not trying to compete at the highest level, this peak performance idea, but I still want to do it. Well, I yeah. still want to do it well into my old age. Like there, there's not much space for that in the world these days. And I, I'm really like, glad that you're kicking off uh, in that direction and there's it's starting you can see it's beginning this idea that yeah. adults aren't you know doomed to be broken after the age of 35 is is starting to pick up mm -hmm. it's the, that's the expression of movement isn't it i think like you can train qualities in the gym and you can train qualities in yoga or pilates and things like that but a lot of people are missing the expression of movement within their daily lives and i was missing that for several years and now i've just gone back to doing jujitsu and i started doing jujitsu a few months ago and it's a very different thing to go and train movement versus actually express <laughs> my movement and, and just see what happens and it feels very nice it really does and i don't think I don't think the gym does that. Now, it might do that for some people. They feel like it does, especially if they compete. But I think for a lot of people, running maybe does that. Jiu-Jitsu does that. Different, like dance does that. An expression of movement that I do think is missing in there, a lot of people. There's work. also just this idea that, like, to be healthy, you've got to thrash yourself. You know, if you, if you didn't throw up after your workout, it wasn't a good workout. This kind of, like, pervasive pushing limits that that goes in and and like it's quickly becoming obvious that if you're just a little bit intelligent with your training you won't get to that olympic level peak performance but you can get like 80 percent of the way there and not at any of these risks that they take to to push those limits right you just have to pay attention to some stuff just like a like you're kind of teaching with your methods um how important is the practice that it's a daily practice. This is something that's huge. This for us, for what we're doing, for the deeper work of Taoism with the spiritual cultivation and alchemical cultivation, it's just not going to work. You will just hit a glass ceiling at some point if you have a non-daily practice. And I can personally vouch for this. My first teacher, who's, a, who's quite a good teacher, um, and uh, the methods were all good, but and he kept telling me, you've got to train every day, but I was 17 and I didn't listen because I was a stubborn ass. Um, I was training good hours a week. It's something between 10 and 20 hours every single week, but missing one to three days a week for 10 years. Mm-hmm. After 10 years, I still couldn't express the basic qualities. And I went on to meet people who had gained those qualities in like two years with a daily practice that wasn't even as many hours as that, you know, it's like half an hour a day, uh, 
then then it, it it was really like that was the the shock that kind of rattled me into daily training now that is specific to what we're doing that's really really specific to this particular approach because this approach relies on a kind of momentum and when you're most of the time you're kind of trying to build momentum and you think of this kind of logarithmic curve where you're you're building momentum that you want to take off at some point um and the daily training you know you you'll slowly i i coach my students with this all the time they need to first of all work up to the daily training and then also accept that there's going to be these day, days where it goes wrong where everything goes to hell and you can't do this ideal you know we have this kind of ideal which is like a fantasy of perfection and when that happens you need to accept doing a crap day of training but still do it it needs to come back to 5 minutes to 8 minutes and what happens with that is you get this momentum and then on those days you just keep it where it's at it's not growing it's not evolving but it's staying instead of crashing and having to build it up again and everyone knows that when you crash you know, sometimes it can be 6 months before you <laughs> you've kind of built back up the momentum and the amount of people i know who've been like on again off again for like 40 years and they they just building up to the same spot and falling and building up to this and there's not an ongoing evolution. So with the idea we have that you want this kind of perpetual evolution into the future, um you really want to avoid that at all costs. Yeah. You don't you don't need to train all of the things all of the every day. You just need to do something yes. every day. And this I think I mean especially with our school we've got a lot of exercises, you know. I I think personally I know well over in the thousands and I don't even want to know how many exercises my teacher knows it's just <laughs> ridiculous he's mm -hmm. probably forgotten more than I've ever learned um but uh the the thing this gives is kind of like little container in your day where you do something that's for you to know yourself better like in a really simplistic way then even if you're not in the school having this little container where you're maybe doing your your David Gray upper body basics program TM by the program <laughs> you know um <laughs> link yeah, yeah. or you're maybe doing your program or you've gone to see the physio and the physio says you have to do this exercise and instead of having to battle with actually doing it you've already got a container built that you just like tag it in cool i just had a acl reconstruction the guy wants me to do these exercises i know how to train every day so i can do them I go to a dance school and they say you've got to practice your pirouettes every single day. Cool. I just put it in my little container and I have this container there that it doesn't really matter what's in it just as long as there's something that's for me to develop myself and I'm used to doing it. We say we want this to be built up to a way where it's like eating. You know, I don't just forget to eat on any day unless I'm like yeah. specifically fasting, there's just no chance that I'm going to forget to eat. This is what we want the daily thing to be yeah. like. I have uh I've one tattoo on my body and it's a Chinese symbol for mountain nice. which is I think I I think I read it in one of Serge's books which was the idea of going to the mountain every day and I think he said something like that's back in the, like back in the day that's where they used to mm -hmm. go to train um but now they do, he do, I I was something like I I don't want you to go to the mountain I want you to be able to live in the world and still do your practice I don't want you to have to go to a yoga retreat mm -hmm. to find space to do this it should be part of your daily life so that little uh, mountain symbol is on my elbow and it tries to I try to use it to remind me to just do something to make myself a little yeah. bit better every day and that's the perfect 
even though I'm not doing these practices anymore, <laughs> but I still have learned like I have that, that, that stuff has really shaped how I think about movement and, and life. And I probably hopefully will return to it someday. Um, but it's, yeah, it's really, it's really shaped and influenced me and just taught me to about momentum mm-hmm. probably yeah, about being consistent. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's cool. It's really cool. Um, anything, anything that we missed? Oh, I could literally go on forever. <laughs> I'm sure you could too. Um, yeah, maybe, uh, going back to the, the pain thing, I, I put an article about, um, pain out and I, I really kind of had this idea that just the fundamental idea that we shouldn't be in pain is also kind of weird to me. I, I wanted to bring this up when we were talking about it before, but we missed it. Um, this idea that if there's pain, something's going like, like we should, a good life would mean someone just didn't have pain for their whole life. Right. And that's somehow that's fundamentally wrong to me. That's, that's like, you didn't do anything in your life. Like, uh, you know, what's going on this, this idea that we just want to mute any intense sensations. And, uh, and I see this all the time. I had to really, uh, deal with my, a couple of family members actually, who wanted to go and get this nerve blocking stuff they have now. They have like really, really precise ways of identifying which nerves are kind of firing too strongly and they burn them with a acid that they inject in a really precise spot to like burn a branch of the nerve. So you just stop getting the signal and it's just like, but the signal is coming for a reason. If you just like turn it off, whatever it's signaling is just going to get worse and worse and worse and worse and worse until something goes horribly wrong. And, and the argument is that the, the professionals give to the, you know, the, the logic that they gave to, to my father was that more or less you're getting old and the system's starting to get a little bit funny and it's sending bad signals and we're just going to turn those signals off. And there's just like, this idea that our system kind of just deteriorates by default after 30 is, and that a good way that this will go is as it deteriorates, we'll just kind of mute everything that's a little uncomfortable. You know, this, the whole thing is just, this is just somehow fundamentally wrong to me. And, and maybe you wanted to, to chime in on your views on that. No, I'm, 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 I'm definitely with you. Uh, I, de- I definitely am on the nerve blocking thing. Some people are in excruciating pain and that can be a good thing, but the issue with getting the nerve blocking are a lot of, a lot of different things. Like it's, it's a great option. I'm really happy to live in a world now where we have these options. If I get hit by a car, I want the surgeon to be able to do something <laughs> sure. immediately, let's say, but what it does is also blocks the motivation for Mm, you to do anything about it yourself exactly and that's a massive issue so if if your dad said okay i'm going to get the nerve blocking thing but i'm still going to do my practice every single day and try and clean Mm -hmm. up this area and yes i'm missing a bit of that sensation but i'm i'm aware and i'm willing to make that trade-off but that is not what people will do they will just say oh this is gone now everything is great until the next thing crops up uh so yeah, I'm with you. And I think the pain science is starting to catch up where pain doesn't mean damage. 
pain doesn't necessarily mean damage. Pain, we're all going to get back pain. We're all going to get all these different things at some <clears> stage or the vast, vast, vast majority of us are. It's not the end of the world. It's information. And mm-hmm. when we look at it like that, we can catastrophize it or we can look at it as this is information. Let's let's do something with it. Um, yeah. So And, and yeah, sometimes it, it does mean there's damage, that. right? You know, that like having that idea that pain is a language that's quite adaptable and and quite complex too that uh but instead of just saying don't bother learning the language i'll just like turn it off uh just uh you know (laughs) it it reeks of like moving to a foreign country and not bothering to learn the language and then getting confused why people are shouting at you in the street and like just working out how i can just mute everyone and kind of go about my life it's kind of like that (laughs) that's the that's how it feels (laughs) yeah yeah um have you read any of Stephen Pressfield? No. Who's this? You should. You should. You really should. Send so me he has link. a book called the the art of sorry no the war of art. The war. So there's a Chinese yeah so there's a Chinese emperor or whatever that wrote a book called the art of war, and it was literally about war. But it's a very famous popular book. Um, and Stephen Pressfield is an American author that wrote a book called The War mm-hmm. of Art. And it's all about uh, like the struggle to actually do the thing that you should be doing every single day. So he has a book. That book is, is the single best book for like, anyone who's trying to be creative or stick to mm-hmm. a practice every day. It, it, in my experience, it changed. It, 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 not many books have changed my life. I usually read them. I'm like, well, oh, that was really good. And then I just go on with my life. <laughs> Don't learn anything. <laughs> Uh, or tricked myself into believing I did. So that book, he has another book called Do the Work, which is just like about... I like it already. It's all about actually putting yourself in the chair like every single day. Just fucking sit down. And he does talk. He has a little bit of like spirituality with it, which is he thinks like the muse will come to him every single day if he puts himself Mm -hmm. in the position to allow them to come and actually listen. So he has that... uh, the War of Art, uh, Turning Pro, and Do the Work. They're three like, very similar books talking about similar concepts, but I think you would absolutely love The War mm-hmm. of Art. Cool, you I'll would. check it out. He's speaking Excellent. your language. Thank you. And that's, that's the cool thing. with I think with writers, they have a very interesting thing. You'll hear writers talk about having a practice where he speaks about the, the, the day he finishes a book is the day he starts his next <laughs> nice. book. He does not take a single day off. He sits down and he, even if it's writing like one page, he writes it so mm-hmm. he has momentum. And that is like, that is a good concept. So writers are really interesting to look at because they need to have discipline. They, they have a, a very defined practice. They usually have a very defined place where they mm-hmm. go. James Clear, I think, spoke about that. The guy who wrote Atomic Habits, where he has a desk in a room facing the wall and not facing the window. And there's nothing else in the room, and he yeah. sits at the desk and desk and writes. Feels himself, so, uh, and he doesn't care. Yeah, and, and uh, Stephen Pressfield does not give a shit if he writes something mm-hmm. terrible or not. He just has to yeah, sit down th- and write. Yeah, this is a so, really interesting. This uh, like doing things poorly. Um, I I actually find so much value from that, uh, especially as someone whose teacher is almost quite literally on the other side of the world then I don't have much contact to get corrections. Um, I don't have much opportunity to see if I'm kind of doing it right. 
what I've learned from that, and this has been one of the coolest lessons, is like doing things wrong has huge value, huge, huge value. I remember I took one particular practice and I can't actually remember what it is, um, one of the motions that we have. And I watched the, the tutorial video we had on it and I was just like, okay, cool. And then I got to doing my daily practice. And like a year later, we had Serge in Australia and um, he's like, oh, show me what you've been doing. And I showed him this. He's like, what the hell was that? I'm like, huh? And, he, and he's just like, it was just like everything about it was just wrong. He's just like, you just like missed the point entirely. And he said, you have to do this, 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 and this and corrected me. And the corrections just went in straight away. It's like, I needed to know what not to do really, really thoroughly. And when he said, change it, it just changed. And it stuck from that moment. Whereas I've had other moments where I've gotten like, oh, do it like this. And the next day you're doing it wrong. It's like, no, do it like this. And you kind of get that it almost ends up in the same spot, but there's there's some some kind of weird value coming from knowing so clearly what not to do that you can actually just get it right after mm -hmm. that. And uh, this is something I think is is also missing a bit there. This this ability to fail at stuff and and fail well, you know, just just I'm gonna make a mess of it. Yeah. And I, I think that's why I'm a good teacher because I'm just a crap student. I've just messed so many things up. You know, I've done <laughs> things so badly wrong that people come to me and go, ah, oh, this is the trouble I'm having. Like, oh, yeah, I know that trouble. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been yeah, there, exactly. yeah. <laughs> I know that exact yeah. trouble. Yeah, exact same year, man. Exact same year. Like, yeah, I've been in that misery several yeah. times before. <laughs> uh, yeah, I get that with people who don't, who buy a program and they ask them, like, the programs are, are laid out pretty simply, I think, that my programs. Um, but there's also, they're vague enough for people to like mm -hmm. explore a little bit and, and say, yeah, I kind of like this one versus this one, or I'll do like 15 seconds instead of 30 seconds or whatever. So I want it to be vague, but some people will ask 50 questions before mm -hmm. starting. I'm like, just fucking yeah. start. And you might be left with one yeah. question yeah. at the end of it, you know, rather than so... That's a tricky one. Um, yeah, awesome, man. This was this was a great chat. Would uh, is there anywhere that you would like people to go or where? Yeah, totally. So my website is craigmallet.com. C R A I G M A L L E double T. Don't miss the second T. People miss it all the time. Dot com. Um, yeah, from there it launches. I've got a little. Uh, I, I've got Mighty Networks uh, running a little community area where I have online courses. I'm doing some weekly classes, training the mind, training the breath. Um, I've got a full online training for people who want to actually dive into the the traditional training, uh, which is like a kind of year subscription thing. Um, and then plenty of short courses and plenty of possibilities for one-off things books I, I wrote a book at some point it's all on my website um i have uh on, on the the theme of what we were just saying like like instead of waiting for someone to feed you every bit of information just like click and dig and explore you'll find stuff for sure craigmallet.com yeah awesome man uh thank you so much uh really appreciate you coming and on it was good to chat been catch up and chat a big influence on me yeah yeah, yeah, oh, really good. I haven't we haven't spoken in face to face in yeah. several years, probably since I left mm -hmm. Australia. So yeah, you were definitely a big influence on me. And despite me not training necessarily in that way, like I don't, I don't see any of anything that we did as a waste of time. I see it as a massive cool. part of my development. So and also how you just 
handle yourself, how you answer some of the questions in the podcast and stuff where it's never trying to put something else down to build it up. It's just, this is what I like. And take yeah, it yeah, exactly. kind of thing. I really appreciate that that mindset so uh so thank you so oh, much man. and uh hopefully we'll appreciate we'll it deeply thanks for bringing me on the podcast and and all your work so far has been super cool watching it develop it hey guys david here again i hope you enjoyed that episode with craig i thought it was super valuable i know you, it might make some people think and might be a little bit foreign to what you're used to hearing just around like strength and mobility but honestly look around all you need to do is look around and see People just don't move well. People move with so much tension, both physically and mentally. And these practices can be valuable, even if you're not interested in trying them, just thinking and understanding like, okay, maybe I can help people move with less tension. You'll see one of my key principles actually that I've probably spoken about on the podcast is don't fight tension with tension. Um, That's traditionally what physios and coaches are doing oh you have tension in your back you're going to squeeze your core as hard as possible and yeah it might make short-term changes long term you just end up being squeezed in every single direction possible so uh don't fight tension with tension i think is a, a solid principle and maybe if i think about it like maybe the root came from some of what i learned from from craig and, and that world as well so uh craig is a legend super nice guy as you can hear and also was just thinking about like the lesson there of how he approaches topics and doesn't shit on anything does just says here's what i think and yeah just being just being nice about things so craig is actually going to do a, a guest presentation for dgr interactive we have a seriously cool list of presenters now lots of people that have come on the podcast have done their little presentations so it's starting to get a quite diverse topics in there on different parts of movement obviously i have all my own my own videos and chris has his videos in there as well and then we have some guest presenters so if you're a member already make sure you check that out if you're not then jump on dj interactive join us and come and learn with us i think there's so much that you can learn and bring into your own life and your own practice as a coach or a therapist that will completely transform and then make you more successful and more longevity like we spoke about in in the podcast so uh check out dj interactive apart from that hope you enjoyed the episode um maybe give it a share for us if you did uh lots of love talk to you next time